So Daryl Davis was born in Chicago in 1958. His parents were diplomats, which meant that they served overseas. And in his early childhood, Daryl Davis attended, we would call them like international schools, where, you know, you'd be in a foreign country and, you know, roll call just kind of looked like the United Nations. There would just be kids from every part of the world in these schools. And then about age 10 in 1968, uh, his family was back in Boston here in the States, and he signed up for the Cub Scouts. He was the only black child in his Cub Scout troop. And in 1968, his troop had joined a lot of other troops to do a commemorative walk or parade to celebrate the ride of Paul Revere. It almost sounds a little bit like the Lincoln Pilgrimage. Some of you may have done that. How, raise your hand if you've been through, done the Lincoln Pilgrimage from New Salem to Springfield. So it sounded like it's something like that. So they're doing this out east to commemorate the ride of Paul Revere. And Daryl Davis, 10 years old, got the, the privilege to hold the American flag in their parade. And they're walking through this parade, and he starts getting hit with rocks and bottles and soda pop cans, and they were coming from both adults and children just getting debris and throwing it at him. And he thought to himself in his beautiful, innocent 10-year-old mind, there must be some people that don't like the Cub Scouts. His den leaders started to shield him from the attacks. And then later that night, Daryl's mom and dad explained to their 10-year-old son a word he'd never heard before called racism. And as they're bandaging him up, it is this question came up in his mind, how can people inflict pain on me and hate me when they don't even know me? Stories hit home, don't they? And I was talking with a dear friend today, and I, and I just, I'm kind of clueless because I thought, I'm, I'm honest, I thought that that racism stuff was done with like my parents' generation. I grew up in the 80s, 90s, and I thought, that's not going to happen anymore. We're, we're beyond that. And yet we still live in a racially charged, tense environment. And so our core verse today is from chapter 40 of our core 52, where it talks about God's solution to racism. And it's on Acts chapter 17, verse 26. And I want to encourage us to read this verse together. And I want to just invite you to to just try and let down some of your guards because already you're just kind of unnerved, aren't you? And so I want to pray that God's Spirit will work through His Word and through this experience today that He would just open up our role of what we can do to heal the tension in our world. Does that sound okay? So here's our core verse for today. It's from Acts chapter 17, 26. In a moment, I want to read it together out loud, but I want to tell you some context. So in Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul has come to Greece. If you know your geography, that's Europe, southern Europe. And so he's come to Athens to, to preach the gospel to a different people group. They look a little different than they would in the Middle East and in Jerusalem. And so he is preaching the gospel to the intellectual elite in Athens. And he comes to this part of his sermon, which is the verse I want to read. This is our memory verse for this week. And I want to encourage you to memorize it. And I'll be honest, at first glance, I thought, this isn't the verse I would have picked for this. And then after I kind of just let it soak in my soul this week, I'm like, this is really good. 
So I hope that God's Spirit can really kind of tune it up for us, and hopefully anything I say can help as well. But this verse is really good, and it's kind of one of those I kind of forgot was in the Bible, to be honest, okay? Are you ready to read it? Here we go. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Paul, what do you mean by that? Now, remember, he's talking to the people in Greece. And, you know, Athens, think of, you know, all those columns and smart people and stuff. And so he's trying to kind of talk on that intellectual wavelength for a little bit. But from one man, he made all the nations. I think we can figure that one out. That's, he's talking about Adam. So in a sense, we're all children of God. We are created in God's image, okay? So that they should inhabit the whole earth. So God gave us this earth. Uh, Scott reminded us the earth is the Lord's, Psalm 24. And he marked out their appointed times in history. That word time isn't the word for chronology time. It's the special season time, God-ordained time. So there's just certain times in history that he got people in certain places for that special time and the places where they're to live. It really sounds like God's kind of overseeing all of history, isn't he? And so it kind of reminds us that, you know, God's going to take care of everything. So here's the sermon for today. Here's the sentence. When we pursue God's heart for the nations, he resolves our differences. When we pursue God's heart for the nations, he resolves our differences. He's going to work things out. But we need to get in tune with God's heart for the nations. And that's all peoples around the world. And so this word for nations in the New Testament is where we get the word ethnic. Ethnic groups. Ethnic. And so it's actually the Bible talks about it 700 times. So there's a lot. And I just want to give a shout out to my friend I met this summer, Tom Steele. Preaches in Iowa City at a Church of Christ. And they uh, are just finished their Core 52. And so he shared me some of that Daryl Davis story. And um, he preached a sermon that I've got a couple notes on that, that found its way into today. So I just want to give a shout out to to Tom Steele and Iowa City uh, Church of Christ, and uh, it was helpful. And so 700 times nations shows up in your Bible. My dear friend Wayne Shaw, a handful of years ago, he had his one-year Bible reading plan that we would read together, read through the Bible in a year, and he says, Warren, every time I ran across the word nation or nations or Gentiles, sometimes they translate the word nations as Gentiles in your Bible. Anytime I ran across that, I underlined it. So I started to follow my mentor's example. And by about the time I got through Leviticus, I kind of ran out of gas. So I still have yet to underline every time in the Bible where you read nations, but 700 times from Genesis to Revelation. So you think this is a big deal for God? Yeah, just a little bit. God wants the whole world to know about his saving love. And so I just want to, in our time together, walk through a couple passages in the Old Testament. We're going to center mainly in Acts because that's where our core verse is. We're going to get to Revelation, though, because I want you to see that from Genesis to Revelation, God has a heart for the nations. And so in Genesis chapter 12, God calls this man Abram. So remember from one man he made all the nations, so a person, a time, and a place. So Abram was a person, the time was a long, long time ago. The place was actually called Haran. And he says, I want you to leave this hometown, go to a different place where I've called you. This is Genesis 12, verse 3. And he says, I'm going to bless you and all peoples on the earth 
will be blessed through you. God has a heart for the nations. 700 years before Jesus, so again, time, person, Isaiah, the prophet, the place, he's going to show up in Jerusalem, the city of God. And he's going to preach this message. And I want to read this verse with us. It's going to be Isaiah 49, verse 6. We can get that on the screen. I'm going to read the white verse part words. And then I want us to all read the words in yellow because that's really the theme. But here's this message from, from the prophet to highlight God's role to bless the nations. So it's Isaiah 49, verse 6. I'll read the white and then we'll all read the yellow together. He says, Is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So God says, I want my people, the church now, to be a light of salvation to the nations. So we are called to show God's light and love to the nations. Jesus even picks up on this theme to bless the nations. It's our verse that we anchor our mission statement to make more and better followers of Jesus. It's in the last couple verses of Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 28. So again, we got a, we got a person, Jesus, the time just after he rose from the dead, so we can say first century A.D., the place, it's a mountain in Galilee, a mountain in Galilee. And so here's what he says, Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we have this commission from God to bless the nations. Are you catching God's heart for the nations? When we can pursue God's heart for the nations, He can resolve those differences. So I want to go to Acts. We're going to be in three passages in Acts, so get your Bibles if you want to. You can follow along. Uh, But Acts chapter 10, another time. It's still first century. The place, Caesarea by the Mediterranean Sea. Beautiful place there. The person... It's Cornelius. He's a Roman. He's a Roman soldier. He's actually a centurion. And this apostle Peter is going to have this conversation. And Peter in his mind says, okay, only Jews get to come to God. Only Jews come to Jesus. And he's going to have his worldview rocked by this experience with with dreams and with this God-fearing Roman soldier. And so Acts chapter 10, verses 34 and 35 Then Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. He he says, I accept everyone. So we pursue God's heart for the nations. This is another verse from our Core 52 from like March, if you remember way back then. It's from, this, one, this one's free. This one's not in on the slides, okay? But from 1 uh, Samuel uh, 15, verse 6. That's not right. 16, verse 7. Uh, 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. 
And so there Peter is seeing this someone that looks a lot different than him, but he says, I can see that God's working in your life, and I realize that God does not show favoritism, but accepts those who are from every nation. This continued to be an issue for the church because they're saying, okay, I thought, you know, I thought you had to become a Jew to become a Christian. And, and God's like, no, you just need to go to Jesus. Let's just go to Jesus. And they have this big church council meeting in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. And this is the verse that Tom Steele reminded me about that I, again, kind of forgot. But Acts chapter 15, verse 19, he says it this way. It is my judgment, this is kind of the summary statement coming out of that big church meeting. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles or the nations who are turning to God. Let's not make it difficult for them to come to Jesus. Now, yes, we need to explain that following Jesus is difficult and it's hard and it could cost you your life. But let's not make a bunch of hoops for them to get to Jesus. Let's just come get them to Jesus, the church, has a role, and I feel that the church is the best people to reach the nations and to help resolve these hurtful times of our lives. So you remember Daryl Davis, 1968, same year Dr. King got shot. That night when his mom and dad were putting Band-Aids and Mercurochrome on his wounds, that question, how can they hate me when they don't even know me, set him on a life journey. He went on to uh, get a college degree, and he became a Grammy Award-winning piano player. And he set his heart on trying to find out what is at the root of this thing called racism. And he started studying the, the origins of the, the KKK, the Ku Klux Klan, started looking at the, the Nazi Germany, the neo-Nazis, just all these kind of hate groups. He just wanted to learn and just be educated on what's at the root of all of this. And one night, Daryl Davis is playing music in a, in a club, and this guy liked what he heard, and he said, I want to buy you a drink. And so they sit down at a table, and Daryl Davis is having his cranberry juice, and this other guy's having whatever he chose to for the night. And he said, I've never heard a black guy play that music like, like Jerry Lee Lewis played, just to, like you did tonight. Never, first time I've heard a guy play that good. And Daryl Davis thinking, where do you think Jerry Lee Lewis learned how to play that type of music? <laughs> but he didn't. And uh, so this guy was a white guy, and he's like, this is the first time I heard a black guy play that good. And, and he said, and this is the first time I, as a white guy, I've ever sat down at a table with a black guy. And this white guy's buddy kind of started nudging him and said, kind of tell him. So they're there at the table together. And that guy says, I'm a member of the Ku Klux Klan. And so here's a black guy and a KKK member having a drink in a bar. Daryl Davis, his response, I'm so glad to meet you. I've been, I've been waiting for this moment. I really want to learn more about your group. Not, the, not the, really the, the reply you're expecting, were you? He said, I'd really like to interview your leader. Could you put me in touch with your leader? And the guy was like, there's no way I'm doing that, man. And, but eventually he prevailed, and this white guy gave them, gave Daryl Davis the number for Roger Kelly, the, the imperial wizard, the grand dragon for, for Maryland, for the Ku Klux Klan. 
And he says, okay, I want to, and he said, but you cannot tell him that I gave you this number. Keep this on the down low. And so he's like, okay, fine, I'll protect you, no problem. So he gets the number, has his secretary. He said, can you call Roger Kelly? Just tell him I want to interview him. Don't tell him I'm black. Sure enough. So they arranged the interview. He set it up in a neutral location in a hotel room. And Daryl Davis and his secretary get there early. They've got a, a, you know, some, some soda pop on, on ice to be hospitable. And uh, set time comes, knock on the door. In walks Roger Kelly's bodyguard. In walks Roger Kelly. Didn't realize he was going to meet a black guy that day. And so he extends his hand, shake. I'm not sure if they shook hands or not, but they did sit down. And Roger Kelly just wanted to talk. And mainly he wanted to, get this, hear this one, he wanted to listen. He just asked him questions, he just listened. Guess what happened? They had another meeting. And these two guys, black guy, KKK member, started talking and starting to actually be like in each other's homes. So much so that Daryl Davis would go to the rallies, the KKK rallies, as a black guy, and he would sit on the front row. And you realize that he wasn't believing everything they were saying. But he just came, and he sat, and he listened. And over the course of some time, Daryl Davis and Roger Kelly formed a wonderful relationship on respect. They did have their differences, but they respected each other enough. So much so that Roger Kelly left the KKK and gave Daryl Davis his white robe and hood. And it's not just the first time that that happened. Daryl Davis continued to meet with these KKK members over a series of years to where there were over 200 or almost 200 people that left the KKK because of his friendship. And he's got a closet full of their robes. He's about 46 of them, last count. And there's something symbolic of even casting off that robe and saying, I'm leaving this and going to do something different. It's kind of a physical thing of just casting that stuff aside. But how did that happen? Well, he was brave enough to be a friend and to listen. There was this story in, our, in this year's uh, New York Times Picking up on Daryl Davis. Daryl Davis, uh, and his, again, the article was in the New York Times. you believe this? I'm going to quote the New York Times. Uh, June 26, 2021, Nicholas Kristof, he wrote, a, wrote an article, and the, the, the title of the article was, How Can You Hate Me When You Don't Even Know Me? And he's talking about Daryl Davis. And he closes the article this way. He writes, at a time when America is so polarized and political space is so toxic, we of course have to stand up for what we think is right. But it may also help to sit down with those we believe are wrong. 
Do you hear that? That sounds like what Jesus did, doesn't it? Come to earth, live among people who did not accept him, sit and eat with tax collectors and sinners and those who were from Rome and those who were mixed breeds. Just ask the woman at the well when Jesus asked her for a drink, how did she feel, this Jewish man? And she is not Jewish or Gentile. She's kind of in between. And he gave her an invitation to eternal life. Jesus embraced those who were different. God's heart for the nation. So I just love that Daryl Davis story. I'll be honest, Daryl Davis, um, there's kind of both people groups aren't sure what to do with them. There's people in the BLM group, they're like, we don't think we like what you're doing. And yet he's modeling. He says, when you're listening, you're not fighting. And so Jesus modeled this for us that he wanted to sit down and eat with all nations, with people of all types of different backgrounds. And this theme for the nations shows up again in Revelation. Revelation 7, 9 through 10, one of my favorite passages in Scripture. I say that about every week, though, don't I? It's been a while, though, since I've said it. But I think this might be one. Revelation 7, 9, and 10. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation and tribe, people, and language. You hear that theme throughout Revelation. Before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Mark Moore in this week's reading, if you've got the book, and if you still need a Core 52 book, we've got some available for you. But he says, anyone irritated by multiculturalism will be miserable in heaven because there's going to be people from every nation, tribe. Just read it. It's in the book. And so I hope and pray that we can embrace God's heart because when we pursue God's heart for the nations, he'll resolve those differences. He can work those out because who would have thought a black guy could go to a KKK rally and make it out alive, let's be honest, and then bring them home and get their robes. And so if God can do that, I think God can do just about anything. So now this is where we start talking about, okay, preacher, I hear you talking about the the Bible. I hear you talking about this story. Uh, This is where I talk about what are we going to do? This is where the rubber really hits the road. So what are we going to do? And again, I think the church still matters because I think the church is the place and the people where we can reach and bless the nations. And so I want to encourage us, and our Core 52 studies invites us to share a meal with someone of a different cultural background. I want to to encourage you between now and let's just say Thanksgiving. We'll give you some time, okay? Set up a meal with someone who looks and talks different than you. That's what God wants us to do. Try and try that. Our family has been blessed by our, our opportunities that we've had. And I get it that, you know, we're probably weird and different, but just roll with me for a little bit, okay? I'm just thankful that we have had uh, Native Americans in our home for meals and Indonesians and Jamaicans and students from Japan and 
France this whole entire school year, Lord willing. Our kids have been blessed by having the nations come to our house. And I hope and pray that you could experience some of that blessing too. And I want to encourage you that there's, you're like, okay, I don't, I don't know anybody. Well, open your eyes because the nations have come even to our small towns. And you can go about 30 minutes and you'll find a lot of nations. There's international students at Illinois College, like a whole heap of them, like lots of international students at Illinois College. University of Illinois Springfield, maybe your doctor. You never know with people in the medical community. Think about opportunities that God is going to place before you. And I really want to challenge you on this. And I've said this before, and I still have yet to see if anybody's done it. So maybe this year will be the year. Don't you like that setup? I think it'd be nice for some of this church family to invite some of those international students to your house for Thanksgiving. Because let's be honest, it's kind of hard to go back to Pakistan for Thanksgiving break and be back in time for school. So where are they going to be? In their dorm room alone. So maybe you could say, hey, come to our house. We'll have Thanksgiving dinner. Show them how God loves them and show them about Jesus. I just had an email this week from Illinois College saying they're hoping to bring Japanese students back again this year in February, and they're looking for some American host homes to either put them in a home for four weeks or to entertain them for a, a night, you know, come and, sh and just introduce them to American culture and things. Those are some ways that you can do that. And some of you are saying, okay, preacher, I, I, you're st I can't get you. I still am not there yet. I'm not even there. That's okay. Start wherever you can. At minimum, you can do this today. I know you can do this, uh, I think. Uh, you can go out of the church, and there's this big wall with lots of flags, and it highlights our missions that we support. Spend like two minutes and just look. And maybe there's something that's going to capture your attention. Say, okay, I'll pray for that. And we've got missionary stuff from Indonesia and the Philippines and all different types of just cultures. And so maybe there's something there that you're like, okay, I will take that and pray for. Are you following me? I also had the opportunity to be on this receiving end. It was in 2010. And this is where I got, this is from Indonesia. And it happened because they came to my house and gave it to me. How cool is that? So sometimes you might get gifts. Those, those international folks, they're very hospitable. So if you invite them over, they'll probably give you a gift. And so this is one of my dad's from Indonesia. So shout out to my Indonesian friends. And so in 2010, we get to Indonesia. We land in Jakarta, and we make this like two-and-a-half-hour drive. It felt like we were 2 or 3 a.m. When, when you've flown like around the world, it's just like this blur for like four weeks. Not that far, but anyway, it's just, it's just a long day, so it felt like middle of the night. I don't know. It was dark. And so we're making this journey from Jakarta up to the mission that we support, and I just noticed it's dark, and there's just every, I mean, it's just, it's different than America, folks, okay? It's the largest Muslim-populated country in the world. And so there's just, like, roadside picnics everywhere. And you remember, it's tropical environment, but just everywhere people are just pulled off, and it's just picnic time, and it's like 11, 12 you know, in the night. It's midnight. It's late. And I'm like, what's going on? And our missionary friend said, it's Ramadan. Ramadan's the month that they fast during the daylight hours. You can eat at night. That's just, that's okay. I mean, you try and do that. 
You try a month and don't eat during the daytime. Okay? So you've got to admire that. Okay? And so they're all eating at nighttime because that's their culture and their religion. And so we get up to the, to the uh, mission, and uh, Ramadan's winding down. And one of the neighbors of our Christian brothers uh, invites them and us to their home to break the Ramadan fast. So we have the opportunity to sit down in their home to have their first daytime meal in about a month. And here we are. They've got the mat rolled out on the floor. We're sitting down on the floor, bowls of rice and food right there in front of us, and we are eating and our Christian friends, they would always introduce the Muslims, and that guy that hosted us was a treasure of the mosque. Now, again, did we see eye to eye on everything? No. But were we accept, happy to eat their food? Yeah, it was good. Plus, there was just something special happening in that moment. Remember, from one man, God appointed, made all the nations and appointed the times that they would see and the places where they were living. And we were in that moment right there in their living room. And so we were eating. And the missionary friend, Guy Tan Bunan, who's preached here before, he would always introduce their neighbors, the Muslims, to us. I want you to meet my neighbor. Here's my neighbor. And so all these Muslims were being introduced to him, to us, as their neighbor. And he says, the reason why we call him our neighbor is because it's a lot easier to win our neighbor to Jesus than our enemy. And so through that act of hospitality, they were actually you know, hosting us. We were able to build a relationship. I don't know whatever happened, but like those Daryl Davis experiences of just sitting down, you kind of just let God do the results and leave that up to him. But in 1824, God brought a person to this community in Island Grove, didn't he? Andrew Scott, to raise his family and start a church that became Berlin Christian Church. And later, during the 1860s, God brought another long, lanky guy from New Salem to Washington, D.C. to help abolish slavery. And God has placed each and every one of us in this moment in time. Why? To advance his mission. Because when we pursue God's heart for the nations, he resolves our differences. And I believe that's best lived out in the life of the church. And that's why I believe the church still matters. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to pray for our world. And Lord, I pray that you would raise up the body of Christ to be messengers of peace and truth in this environment that we find ourselves in today. Lord, open our eyes to what you're doing in the world. Help us to experience your passion for the nation's that may be in our backyards, may be in our schools, in our workplaces. And so, Lord, help us just to show your love in clear, practical ways. Lord, we thank you for loving us. Amen. I want you to know that uh, we love you. And if there's anything you want prayers for, Mike and Susan will be down front after the service. I'll be uh, out as you leave. I'd be happy to pray with you if something's going on you'd like for us to pray about specifically. We'd like to do that. Thank you.